Welcome to Mountain Grace, the weekly sermon from me, John White, priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Camillus, New York. This week we're looking at the role of money in the life of faith. A reading from the first letter to Timothy. There is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So before I took up priesting as a vocation, I worked as a process engineer. I worked for a company called Intel. They make computer chips. You may have heard of them. In fact, probably a number of you are carrying their products in your pocket right now. At any rate, one of the nice things about working for a high-tech company like Intel was that we received every seven years a sabbatical. We got eight weeks of basically paid vacation. You could do anything you wanted. You could travel, do anything. You didn't have to come back and produce anything. It was just eight weeks to sort of go away and recharge yourself and come back to work. And 
In fact, if I had stayed at Intel, I'd be almost ready for my third sabbatical. Uh, but I didn't, so I'm not. Anyway, when I was at Intel, I had a good friend. She was also an engineer in my group, and she was preparing for her sabbatical. And her husband also worked for Intel, and he was going to take his sabbatical as well. So they had decided that they were going to go on a huge trip. And so she was telling me about their plans for their sabbatical. And basically, they were going to be scuba diving across the Pacific. I mean, I don't mean like literally swimming, but like going from like Australia to Bali to Tahiti, you know, and they were going to end up in um, Thailand. Thailand. They were going to end up in Thailand. And as she's telling me about this trip that they're going to take and all the things they're going to do and the places they're going to travel and the, and the resorts they're going to stay in, she sort of pauses and she says, wow, that, when I say it out loud, it, it sounds like we're rich. And I sort of laughed. I said, you are. <laughs> you are rich. So you and your husband, your combined salaries are like $250,000 a year. I said, you're like in the top... 5% of the wealthiest people in the world. She goes, but we're not rich. Now, my, my general observation is that most people, when they think about what a rich person is like, a rich person is someone who has about twice as much money as you have. So even if you have a lot of money, you're not really rich because there's always somebody who has at least twice as much as you. And so when we're surrounded by people who live kind of like us, and frankly, that's the world that we lived in. We worked for a big five, Fortune 500 company. We were professionals. We were well compensated. Most of the people she knew lived just like her. It wasn't unusual to go scuba diving in Tahiti. I mean, it's not my thing. But, you know, lots of people did similar sort of experiences, especially on their sabbaticals. And so they didn't live an ostentatious lifestyle. And compared to the people around them, they didn't seem particularly wealthy. That doesn't change the fact that, in fact, they had tremendous resources at their disposal. And it works the other way, too, right? I know lots of people. In fact, when I said this at 8 o'clock, everybody started nodding their head. I know lots of people, especially people who grew up in the area of the Depression, who will say, when I was a kid, we were poor, but I didn't know it. Because, yes, and head's nodding, right? Because everybody around us was poor. And so we judge wealth or poverty not in absolute terms, but in comparative terms. We are rich or poor in comparison to those around us. It's a very elastic concept, wealth and poverty. And whether we measure our wealth in money, like we do, or in a traditional society in, I don't know, goats, it's always a very elastic concept. How much money do we have? And thinking about it, though, when we really think about money, there are only three things that we can buy. No matter how much money you have, there are only three things that you can purchase. You can buy stuff. And most of us have probably more stuff than we need because we have a rummage sale every year where we bring all of our extra stuff in hopes that other people will take that stuff and put it in their house. So we can buy stuff. 
right? And we can buy cars, we can buy houses, we can buy new skis, we can buy scuba diving equipment, we can buy food, we can buy clothes. We buy stuff. But the thing is, there's only so much stuff you really can buy. I mean, even if you had billions of dollars, you could only spend so much money, right? And I think if you had a billion dollars, you could spend like $1,000 an hour every day for a century and not even come close to running out of money. That's a lot of stuff. So there's a finite amount of stuff that we can really probably practically accumulate. The second thing we can buy with money is time. No, I, you can't add time to your life and you can't add time to the day, but you can pay someone else to do the things you don't want to do so that you have time to do other stuff. You don't like cleaning your house? Hire a housekeeper. You don't want to change the oil in your car? Well, have the mechanic do that. Right? We buy other people's time so that we can free up our time to do something else. I used to change the oil in my car. I don't anymore. It's not worth my time. I have other things to do. And so it's worth it to me to have somebody do that. Not everybody has that option, but most of us, almost everybody pays somebody for time to do something. But again, there's only so much time. You can only buy 24 hours a day. And you probably want to sleep at some point and take care of your bodily functions and eat and that kind of stuff, right? So, so really, there's a limit to how much time you can buy. And the third thing that you can buy with your money is an experience. If you have enough money, $50,000 or so, you can climb Mount Everest. If you had several millions of dollars, you could go to the space station. Right? Sometimes we do buy those kind of exciting experiences, like my friend buying an amazing South Pacific adventure. She was buying experiences. I'm sure she was also buying some food and stuff as well, but mostly what she was buying was an experience. Now, of course, some of the experiences we have to pay for aren't really as much fun as scuba diving in Tahiti. Sometimes we have to pay for something like surgery. That's an experience. You're paying for that experience. But ultimately, you know, that's not necessarily what we want to spend our experience money on. So at the end of the day, those are the only three things we can buy. We can buy stuff. We can buy time. We can buy experiences. But of course, we all know there are certain things that we cannot buy. We can't buy the respect of others. Our character determines that, not our money. Right? So how people look at us is beyond our ability to purchase. We can't buy the care of friends. We can't really buy a friend. I mean, you could buy like a toady, right? But you can't really buy a friend, someone who's going to really be there in the lurch for you, someone who really cares, someone who's concerned. You can't buy that. And of course, you can't buy love. There's lots of jokes about being able to rent it. But the truth is, you can't really buy true love. And of course, you can't buy the love of God. You can't give money to make God love you more. Because God can't love you more. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. So those are the things that we can't buy. And when Jesus talks about store up for yourself treasures in heaven, that's what he's talking about. Those intangible things that our money cannot purchase. Respect of others. The care of friends and love, and of course, the love of God. 
So as much money as we have, even if we were all as rich as Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, we couldn't buy respect, we couldn't buy care, and we can't buy love. And in this reading today from Timothy, the first letter to Timothy, we get sort of a, a guidepost for how do we actually bank up this treasure in heaven? And it says, pursue righteousness. Be, be an upstanding person. Godliness. Remember your place in the universe, in the center of God in the creation. Pursue love, faith, endurance, gentleness. When we do these things that Timothy talks about, we are storing up treasure in heaven, right? We are, we are buying the things, I guess you could say, as a metaphor that we can't actually purchase, right? And so the life of Christian faith, the life of following Jesus, is an invitation to focus our energy on just that, storing up treasure in heaven. Because to do that, we have to take ourselves out of the center, right? Because when we pursue wealth, when we're concerned about status and prestige, and we're really focused on, on being richer than our neighbor, neighbors, that's a life that puts ourselves at the center, that sees our lives as the sum total of the purpose of creation. I mean, we may not necessarily think of it that way, but in reality, that's, that's what it is. But as Jesus also reminds us, we're, you're not taking any of that with you, right? And the story of Lazarus and the rich man kind of illustrates that. That the rich man who was heedless of the poor man on his literal doorstep, on his literal doorstep, spent all his life chasing after the things that you can buy with money. He feasted sumptuously, right? He bought somebody's time to make his food. He had beautiful clothes. He bought stuff. And of course, he invited all his friends and had parties, so he was buying experiences. He was buying all those things, but in the end, they really bought him nothing. That the things that we can't buy are more important. And that's what Lazarus has. And I, I, the best way to illustrate that is I think about my mom, right? My mom doesn't care what I buy her for Christmas. She would like me to buy her something for Christmas so that I remember it, but she doesn't really care what it is. She doesn't judge the value of my gift in dollars. My mother does care, however, that I call her every week. And mom, if you're listening to this recording, I'm sorry I did not call you last week. <laughs> right? And we all experience this in our lives. We know this intrinsically that the things that we can't buy are the things that matter most in life. How other people think about us, not like the judges, but the respect of others because we are decent people. The care of friends and loved ones and of course love itself. When we get towards the end of our life, those are the things that we will treasure most. I hope. For all of our sakes. And those are the things that Jesus invites us to focus our lives around. And in this letter from Timothy, it gives us 
the blueprint, the plan, the map, the guidepost for how we to do that, to pursue godliness, to pursue generosity and faith and love. When we do those things, we are building up immense treasures for ourselves in heavens. And it opens up to us the way of life that has meaning and purpose beyond the, the mere accounting of, of human wealth or status or prestige because it shows that we are growing in the love of God. So when we, we focus not on those things that money can buy, but for others... when we are doing good, when we're rich in good works, when we're generous and ready to share, we store up for ourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. And we can take hold of a life that really is life, abundant life. Amen.